0: petersfield's shine radio shine radios growing together with claire venice and steve amos is supported by alitex modern victorian glass houses made in south harting thanks for joining us in Growing Together, the
1: gardening podcast from Petersfield's Shine Radio. I'm Claire Venice, and I'm joined by Steve Amos. And, Steve, we're not at the Adhurst estate allotment no, this week, are we? we're
2: not, and we're not at our secret location. We're at Hampton Court. We are. You've let me out for the day.
1: <laughs> Only because you're wearing a flowery shirt, Steve. Oh, what a flowery <laughs> shirt it is. He's had
2: so many comments today, and thank you to Hector's for uh, supplying it. It's really lovely.
1: So, we are, as you said, we're at the RHS Hampton Court Palace Garden Festival. It's been a wonderful day. We've met with some really lovely people. We've popped back quite a few times to the Alatex stand to say hello to our lovely friends there who are the wonderful sponsors of the Growing Together podcast. So thanks for your support. And, for, and the uh...
2: shelter from the little rain showers we've had, to be fair. Exactly. But we that. have spent a lot of time in the um, floral tent, haven't
1: we? We have. We went to the Plant Heritage Stand. We've that was been...
2: interesting. We learned all about national collections.
1: Yeah, we met with Jill there. And we're here from her later on in the podcast.
2: I chatted to a really interesting guy who had two national collections, Hollyhocks and Cosmos, with an interesting fact about Cosmos.
1: Ooh, okay, look forward to hearing that. And brilliantly, the person I really wanted to meet was the Beardy Gardener, Lee Johnstone, who is displaying his giving garden, and his wonderful story will be played later on in the podcast.
2: He's got a great message, hasn't he?
1: He really does. Now, I've just got to say, it's a bit windy recording this now, so if you do hear <laughs> some of the wind, we not being blown away. We are safely sat at a picnic table, but it's been a bit of a windy day.
2: I met Darren Everest, who is a sweet pea, and more importantly for me, a dahlia grower. And I think it was really him that got me into showing dahlias. He, was he, it? a Fascinating guy. We could, we could have talked to him for hours, couldn't we? Well, yeah. You
1: definitely could have done. I,
2: I definitely could have done. He was fair, very, yeah.
1: very generous, and um, and now lives on the Isle of Wight. So I maybe know. a little trip over there.
2: Possibly, Another trip where you can let me out again.
1: Well, I don't know. Fantastic. You behaved yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and I met Tom Hart Dyke, who is a plant hunter and has a national collection of eucalyptus. It was absolutely fascinating talking to Tom.
2: We couldn't finish the day, could we, without having an ice cream? And didn't we find an ice cream?
1: They were just packing up as well. And they very kindly reopened their freezer door. So many thanks to Hackney Gelato, who, oh my goodness, the ice creams were delicious. What flavour did you have, Steve? I had
2: clotted cream and strawberry. Nice. Honestly? top three ice creams we've ever had delicious
1: and i had pistachio thoroughly recommend but even on a chilly day it was definitely really good, worth it really good so we hope you enjoy listening to this podcast a bit of an unusual one but we've really enjoyed going to the shows and meeting with so many wonderful gardeners this gardening community is fantastic and we really hope that you enjoy growing with us too but steve quickly i've missed going to your lot we've not
2: been there for a little while have we i no. mean sweet peas are almost gone i mean this hot weather we've had has not done very well for them lifted a garlic lifted shallots so they're drying nicely spuds are two weeks away from being done onions are coming they're fattening up nicely so yeah it's it's all go at the allotments it's it's just a case of weeding feeding keeping on top of stuff
1: enjoying the harvest well exactly yeah well enjoy the podcast i hope you enjoy listening to the people we spoke to learning more about their gardening journeys as we have as well and we'll be back i think next time at the adhurst estate allotments let's hope so We've come into the Floral Marquee here at the Hampton Court Palace Garden Festival and we've met up with the Beardy Gardener, otherwise known as Lee Johnstone. Hello, Hello, Lee. Hello,
3: hello. Good to see you.
1: Good to see you too.
3: The garden looks lovely. Thank you. I'm really pleased with it. First time, didn't know what to expect. Didn't know what plants I was going to get until Saturday lunchtime. How
2: did that come about?
3: Well, the idea of the garden is called the Giving Garden. So it's a replica of what I did during lockdown which was two raised beds, and I was growing annuals for people uh, who were going through a bit of a tough time with their mental health because I have a, a background of poor mental health, childhood trauma, etc. And it, The garden was my escape really during lockdown. But I wanted to share that with people. I was very conscious as well of people not having... Space and I wanted to grow something for someone that maybe didn't have access to a garden. So the idea is that everything is given. The raised beds have been given. All the plants were given by as many different nurseries in the marquee as as would lend me stuff. So it was a challenge because I didn't know what the planting style was going to be until literally two days ago. So I've just thrown it together, but I think it looks really good. The arch is... is, given, all of the metal work was given so yeah, I'm, I'm really proud and, and it's been a team effort really.
1: The garden is called the Giving Garden. Yeah. What can people get from this garden when they come here at the show?
3: So there's there's various different levels of giving so wildflowers strip around the edge, that's about giving to nature. Got obviously the plants given in the raised beds there, they're people giving to me as inspiration. The, the quote on the arch is, as you pass through, ask yourself how do I feel today so that's giving meaning but also giving people the time to pause and reflect and just connect with themselves because we often don't do that that in the modern busy world we'll also be giving um, out free seeds so that's about giving people inspiration and hoping to get them interested in growing something and also finally we'll be doing nominations with people at the show so the, the, the original giving garden was about i would write a, a label up for the person that'd been nominated and stick it next to the plant and we'll be doing that throughout show week as well
2: I think mental health, you you touched on it, you know, you suffered yourself. I think gardening is such a fantastic escape for people, isn't it? Totally. And for me, it's about
3: connecting with something bigger. And when I'm having those days where I'm really not feeling great, gardening puts things into perspective for me. But also it slows me down, which is what I need sometimes on those days where my
2: head is just all over the place. I, I run an allotment and so many people during lockdown wanted space, didn't have space, wanted to get out into the gardens. Obviously, you know, the government said we could use our allotments, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And go into the garden space. And a lot of people have said to me, it was genuinely a life save?
3: And it, that's what I say, the gardening did save my life because if I didn't have it in that moment, especially when all that trauma came flooding back when we were sort of trapped inside our houses if I hadn't have had the garden I I don't know, I don't know what would have happened
1: The response obviously was quite a surprise to you when you first set up your Giving Garden. How many people have have contacted you?
3: Last year was the first year. I probably did about 20 nominations. This year we've had over, I think it's between 70 and 80. But also we're doing a national grow-along. So we've got 50 mini Giving Gardens across the UK. So we sent out plant labels and seeds. So people are doing that. Obviously this one here will potentially have hundreds of people. But also people just want to give, whether that's seeds or time or in some cases money which I wasn't asking for, but, but you know, just to help cover postage and things like that. So people have been extremely generous. The and
2: multicultural world's like that. Though, it, it is.
3: It's such a great community and I hosted... A stage in this floral marquee last year, and met a load of people, and we've all become friends. And we're just—it's a—it's a wonderful, wonderful group of people here.
1: Now, how do you see the garden growing? Are you pleased that this has taken this direction? That so many people have embraced it?
3: Yeah, I—I want to create well-being spaces for people. I was lucky enough to to do a public giving garden for a shopping centre in Basingstoke, near where I live, and I want to do more of that. I want—I want people to have access to spaces that make them feel good. So hopefully that might take off. Who knows? I'm just riding a fun wave. I think it's a brilliant concept and I
2: think it's a lovely garden and fantastic idea.
1: If someone's listening to this now and they'd like to be involved or they'd like to nominate a plant for someone, how can they get hold of you?
2: So the website is
3: thegivinggarden.co.uk but also on social media it's at Beardy Gardener.
1: It's you. absolutely beautiful. I hope you have a lovely week here. Steve and I are now joined by Jill Groombridge, who is the business manager of Plant Heritage. Hello, Jill. Hello. Thank you very much for having us here because you've
4: had a bit of a special day here. What are you celebrating at Plant Heritage? Today, we're celebrating our 45th anniversary of Plant Heritage and also celebrating the milestone of 700 national plant collections throughout the UK. Congratulations. Thank you.
2: Could you sum up what a national collection is?
4: Well, a national collection, they're all individual and all different. If you think of it as a living library of plants, it's a living resource of plants. And the point of a national plant collection is it should be accessible to people. So we publish uh, the contact details of a national plant collection holder. So if you've got a question of a particular plant and you want to find out some more, you could go to a national plant collector and ask the question. And they might just share knowledge or they might share plant material but they're a resource for people to go and uh, contact but also they are conserving the plants they are conserving a whole section of plants you know whether it's a single genus like the cosmos or calycanthus which is a lovely shrub or they might be having historical collections where it's plants bred by a particular person retaining the knowledge of the history of a a section of plants
2: it's a really essential part of horticulture and retaining what we've got so we don't lose anything
4: Absolutely. To educate or for the future generations and particularly with the larger issues, you know, wider planet issues, climate Mm -hmm. change, uh, the pests and diseases, looking after the plants and sharing the knowledge, retaining the knowledge from the past for the future generation and mix it in with things like climate change and pest disease means that we're helping, looking after all these plants for the future. And at the end of the day, on a very simple level, where would the planet be without plants?
1: Now Plant Heritage, 45 years. How did it start? What was the beginning of Plant Heritage?
4: Well, Plant Heritage started in 1978 um, and it was a a conference that was convened within the RHS and various gardens and at the time, back in the 1970s, um, they were very concerned about the lack of diversity of plants in people's gardens. People were buying all the same plant and the gardens were very your very clipped green lawns uh, with your annuals and there was quite a big concern of the loss of diversity. We were originally called the National. Council for the Conservation of Plants and Gardens, and it's so long, uh, <laughs> I can't even say it, so we, eventually we changed our name to Plant Heritage, and that uh, we were born then. And then in the 1980s, just a couple of years later, that's when the first National Plant Collections were awarded. And in the 1980s, they started off by inviting people to have National Plant Collections, recognising which gardens had specific collections. Like on our display at Hampton Court, we've got three collections that were awarded in the 1980s. We've got a Stilby, which are in Marwood Hill Gardens in Devon and up in Holhook Gardens in Cumbria. We've got ferns from Savile Gardens in Berkshire and we've got heathers that were from RHS Wisley. And those have been National Plant Collections for 45 years. Um, So they're still there. And you also have seeds
1: here that you collect and sell.
4: Yes, Plant Heritage is a membership organisation. So we have 30 groups across the country and our members collect seed from their garden and some gardens allow us to collect seed from their sort of more public gardens. And our volunteer team is completely volunteer run. They collect the seed, they pack the seed, they label the seed. A lot of work. Huge amount of work that goes into it. And then uh, we offer it uh, for a donation at Hampton Court. Our idea being that we want to encourage people to grow plants from seed because once you start growing plants from seed you a, learn more about the plant and it's a way of encouraging the next generation to to become uh, plants yeah, yeah. people. Absolutely. Now you mentioned the collections
1: is there a collection that you're looking for that Plant Heritage would really like in their collection?
4: Well, Believe it or not, even though we've got 700 collections, there is a huge list of plant groups that we don't actually have national plant collections for or are not registered as plant collections. So each year we have what we call our Missing Genera campaign. And this year we've got 12 plant groups that we're looking for national plant collections. And we find it's a way of engaging with people and people realise... Oh, actually, I grow that plant. So on our display this year, there's Achillea millifolium. And I think in about 2017, we highlighted the fact that there wasn't any Achillea national plant collection. And in 2018, John Cullen, who's got a display right at the far end of the marquee, he decided he was going to collect them. And he's now got a national plant collection. Fantastic. Brilliant. So some of the plants we've got this year, um, quite a lot of them are being and butterfly um, friendly plants. We've got things like Echinacea, Campanula, which is a huge plant group, quite a challenge that one be, but we've also got cactus like astrophytum. They're very um, interesting cactus, they've got huge spikes on them. (laughs) So there's a whole range of plants, you know.
2: So with the national collections, are they all native plants to Great Britain or do you have sort of interlopers? (laughs) <laughs> For want of a better phrase.
4: Well, you'd be going back to Victorian times, really, because, you know, the Victorians and the plant hunters from years ago, collectors. they brought yeah, yeah. they brought a lot of plants in and we consider them to be part of the UK yeah. now. But they're considered to be normal, a part of our UK. So the collections are what's available in the UK. People can grow in the yeah, UK. Yeah. So hence there's uh, collections in glasshouses and in people's homes. So
1: you don't need a massive space in order to have a national collection, potentially?
4: No. The key thing to have a national plant collection is passion. If you're passionate about the plant, you'll want to learn everything about the plant, you'll want to collect everything, you've got to have the collector sort of, you know, I want to collect everything, and all. you've got to have the right soil type. It's a passion that really works.
2: Talking to a couple of your collection holders, the passion is, is evident.
1: Jill, it's been really interesting learning about plant heritage. Congratulations on the 45th anniversary. Thank you very much, it's been a delight.
2: So I'm joined here with Jonathan Shepherd. What defines a national plant okay, collection? So
5: let's talk about one I've got here. It's, it's Cosmos by Pinatus. Mine's only been in existence for a couple of years. As you go out and you see sort of how many named cultivars there are within that plant type. And so I've managed to source from seed because mine's a collection. And it's an annual and it's grown from seed uh 60 to 70 different types of different cultivars of cosmos bipinnatus, and then essentially you end up growing them so mine's grown on a flat plot, plot in lincolnshire mine's interesting because my my collection ceases to exist in winter whereas obviously some national collections may well be big trees spider plant collections so their collections in their house in their front room so it's all about sort of getting the seed and then getting to know about sort of the the, the peculiarities of your plants as a whole, but also perhaps even sort of the individual cultivars. Yeah, yeah. So, so some flower earlier than others, for example.
2: Okay, so I grow Cosmos on my yep. allotment presume they're an f1 hybrid i'm guessing the national collection plants are not hybrids
5: yeah so some will be f1 hybrids some not because it's it's not been in existence that long i haven't had the problem of having to isolate seeds and to get seeds come true but that's part of the process will be so for example if i get a cosmos let's make one up cosmos apricotta to ensure that the seeds remain in existence and so as we all know that cosmos will happily pollinate with each other Absolutely. and you'll get crosses yeah, yeah. and you get some beautiful crosses part of the role and it's quite sad to me is keeping some of them away from the pollinators and the bees so trialing for example the little mini greenhouses and and what some people have suggested you throw in maggots of all things they turn into flies because flies will pollinate them by sort of flying all over them yeah then the flies die and you, you get them out so there's all those kind of sort of bits that have got to go into keeping the collection going then at the same time you're constantly trying to identify new cultivars if they come onto the market so only this year there was a new one called Pink Mosaics that's come out, so I've got the seeds from the breeder and I've brought it over here to to show at Hampton Court because no-one's seen that cultivar before. So how did you get involved with the National Collections then? Oh, crikey, I mean, it's it's quite fortuitous that we're talking here at Hampton Court because, um, let's say it was maybe four or five years ago, I came just as a punter, never been to a flower show before, and got uh literally i guess press ganged by a a lovely lady (laughs) from an organization i'd also actually never heard of called plant heritage and i was astounded they had this missing genera campaign and i had a look and it's like there's no national collection of hollyhocks and i thought well everybody loves a hollyhock don't they it's a cottage garden favorite and they said well come on Join. Put, put and, you and way you know, your money in is. When if somebody says that to me, I kind of do. So it was okay. Come and join. So you have to be a member to have a national collection. You have to fill in a proposal, which gets considered by a committee. They will come back with advice. And they accepted my proposal, which was I would grow them all from seed, source them all, and, and let's fast forward. It was probably over a year that they'll come and judge it. So you'll have a local coordinator come and say, you know, yes, you've got five plants of each specific name cultivar. One of the important things that I was always rubbish at at gardening is labelling. Now I understand why it's about logging and putting on a database where you get your seeds from. Because all of a sudden, you're the expert on this. Luckily for me, I guess, the collection was awarded. And because I'm a glutton for punishment, I decided to do the second one that I really wanted to do as well, because I love them, and I wanted to do Cosmos. I decided to exhibit them last year at Hampton Court which i'd never exhibited how did you get on i missed a goal by one mark i got silver guilt we're judged on something that's called linley criteria so you have to have an educational component but i was really pleased with the feedback from the judges that said your plants were top marks are you back exhibiting this year yeah back here brought more cosmos i guess i grow differently to some exhibitors here. There's non-in-plastic pots, they're in big terracotta pots and the roots will be at the bottom of them and they're grown in peat-free, they're grown pesticide-free, they're actually grown tap-water-free because I think it's important to store the rainwater. Yeah, yeah. But the, you know, the pleasing thing for me is that they're looking quite good, they don't look out of place for an amateur.
2: Well, good luck. Can we just finish with one interesting fact that you pointed out to me earlier about Cosmos?
5: Yeah, we can. That, that I'm, I'm always keen on talking about issues with regards to climate change and that Cosmos as a plant may well be key to fighting climate change in one respect because they cut the methane that is produced by cows and it's from burping not the other way around and they (laughs) if you feed cosmos plants to cows the research shows it cuts methane production by about 16 percent
2: fantastic jonathan thanks so much for your time really nice to meet you
5: great to talk to you too I'm joined now by Tom Hartdyke
1: and Tom it's a pleasure to meet you because we've just had a presentation by Plant Heritage and you have a collection of eucalyptus
6: yeah likewise pleasure to meet you yes we do we're based at the World Garden at Lallingston Castle in Kent and we have the National Collection of eucalyptus one of actually three there were two other ones and there's something about them I managed to get a grant with the RHS to go to Tasmania in 1999 to collect um, potentially hardy woody plants such as eucalyptus trees and, and that was the basis of the collection so i managed to bring back about 120 different types in about 16 species but slightly variables within that so oh it was brilliant and they're all growing into quite big trees at home now and there's something about eucalyptus trees i know some people hate them there's a love hate relationship with a lot of people with eucalyptus they do grow quite fast but there are so many different types that you can grow that are small good in pots grow to 100 feet they're so adaptable the change in foliage the juvenile foliage often circular and bluey and white so the adult foliage which is often large and very long and there's something about them but that association with plant heritage is so important and it really gives me such a boost to be associated with them since 2000 and yeah 2009.
1: That's amazing what an incredible journey that must have been I'm really surprised that eucalyptus can survive in our climate here in the UK.
6: Well, that is a very good point. They've been absolutely brilliant since 2001 when I started planting them until December last year. It's a sore point. They're all fine. A lot of damage because they weren't ready. In Australia, where they come from, a lot of the areas they come from, very cold in the winter, yes. Much colder than we experience here, the winters. Mine is 23, 24 degrees. People aren't actually really surprised to hear that, but they need a cooling down period. They always get that in Australia, and we did not get that in December. So, so many plants from Antipodean or so so many people lost hebees in the gardens so many people formiums in cordland. the eucalypts were really tested but they've got this amazing ability to adapt to fire to things eating them and to cold with these epicormic shoots that come from the bottom so they're all regrowing and it'll be more like a, a shrubbery instead of an actual arboretum a collection of trees but they'll all survive and it'll be fine but I love Christmas but it was a bit of a horticultural heartache at Christmas oh, yes, no. it
1: really was what do you do? What are you going to do this year to prepare for the winter that we might possibly be having?
6: There's not much really you can do with regards to eucalyptus because the collection is over four or five acres. I mean, you can't start fleecing things and and so on. It's a risk, but at the back of our minds, we all know growing these different things. All us gardeners know it's a risk. They're not native, most of these things. However hardy they may have been over the last few winters, they may not be for this winter. It's always a risk, I know that. But when it happens, it's like, oh no. So basically what I'm hoping is a couple of mildish winters to get them at least 10-15 feet tall the new shoots, so they've got quite a woody stem on them and that should mean they should survive I've been told it was a one-off last year I mean, Mother Nature never strikes twice in a row. I'm still not sure that's even true anymore. (laughs) But I'm very optimistic, and they look fantastic. The one thing about the winter, what it's done, is, okay. we've lost a few of the trees to ground level, but the regrowth shows you the different types of juvenile foliage that eucalyptus have, from crimson pink to dark green to white to almost purpley blue, some of them. It looks fantastic. It's the florist's dream day out to see all these different foliage. It's great.
1: That's interesting. I didn't know that. So how many varieties... Eucalyptus do you
6: have? About 45 different species and about three or four hundred different plants. So it doesn't make sense to some people. What I mean is I've got just that 45 different types of eucalyptus, but I've got six different collections of the same species collected for example in Tasmania at different altitudes. So the fruiting bodies that the gum nuts the buds the flowers slightly vary from type to type it's all under the same species but there are different forms of these varieties and that's what i really love and how hardy they might be the variety and hardiness some have been two or three untouched this last winter yet the same species just a few hundred feet away has been almost killed. It's so interesting how Mother Nature selected out a few that have survived.
1: Now, is there a variety you could recommend that people could have in their gardens, say? Or, like you said, in a pot? What varieties could we have at home?
6: The best one, honestly, is the Woolgan snow gum. It's called Eucalyptus gregsoniana from South East Australia. It is superbly hardy great in a pot and it really does well in the ground and it's not too big. It's called a mallee, so it's multi-stemmed from the base and it comes from this thing called a lignotube which is like a storage organ where all these epicormic shoots grow from if it's damaged in the winter or the frosts really, really hit it hard or something eats it or it's broken. They grow from these epicormic shoots, this lignotuberous base, which is fantastic. But it looks good, has good foliage, this sickle-shaped foliage, red stems, Lovely flowers. It flowers when only about three or four feet tall. Lovely white, fluffy flowers, rich honey scent great gum nuts, these little woody capsules that the seed is inside. and It's a great plant, just looks good and does all of its stuff when small. So it's very ornamental. That's the one to recommend. You can grow lots of the gunny eye types, the more common types. The cider gums are easy to grow. In a pot, you can grow them in a pot, but if you put them in the ground, you've got to make sure you've got some space for them. Some of them are huge. <laughs> absolutely huge. But the woolgan snow gum, Gregsoniana, is the one for a small garden. In a pot, raised bed, or just in in the ground, it looks superb.
1: Oh, you're tempting me
6: now. <laughs> you've, got to get one, you've got to have one.
1: So, can people come and visit the garden? Is it open to the public at any time of the year?
6: It is April to October, Thursdays to, to Sundays, yeah, 11 till 5. And we have an eclectic range of some 7,000 different types of trees, shrubs, perennials, alpines, and so on. And it's been a great journey doing the, the World Garden, and one massive experiment.
1: Yeah, that sounds fantastic. And you're involved with Plant Heritage, how long have you been involved?
6: Yeah, I've, I feel like I've grown up with Plant Heritage. Well, I have grown up with Plant Heritage, but my main involvement started in 2008 with Joanna Jones. She's here today. I haven't seen her for years. And Jill Groombridge, she, she's superb. When in 2009 they gave me the status of National Collection, so the involvement's always been there. The biggest excitement, as well, of course, as being here today with the Australasian Plant Society and the Hebe Society, was in 2011 when we had this fantastic stand here at Hampton. Court in Virtue where I'm standing with you now we had a miniature Australia and a miniature Tasmania in their actual shapes of the land masses with eucalyptus trees dotted about inside them in their right places in miniature that was such a buzz doing that absolutely knackering but (laughs) such a buzz doing that that was the highlight for me with Pont Heritage doing that and of course being here today as well Tom
1: it's been fantastic to meet you your passion comes through 110% how lovely to meet you thank you very much
6: pleasure thank you
2: So We're still in the Floral Marquee and we're joined by Darren Everest, well known for sweet peas and dahlias. Darren,
7: good afternoon. Good afternoon.
2: You said you had an early start this morning from the Isle of Wight.
7: Yes, uh, 20 past two, we was up this morning and uh, yeah, four o'clock ferry and uh, yeah, over here, eager, uh, seven o'clock before we could get in and uh, you're yeah, first in the queue so what have you brought with you today sweet peas or dahlias i uh, brought dahlias today yes yes put on my other hat we managed to just about scrape a display together we've got 45 blooms on display uh, a selection of varieties and they're all displayed in these sort of little black boxes just to showcase each individual bloom off it's not about the plant it's just about showcasing the flower
2: And dahlias come in so many different shapes and sizes, don't they? What would you say your your go-to favourite would be? oh
7: certainly yeah i haven't got a favorite variety but certainly size wise the miniature ball and miniature decorative dahlias are my favorite i just love the symmetry in them there are as you say there's thousands of dahlias to choose from from single flowers patio dahlias but i do primarily stick to exhibition dahlias because that's where i've been raised on those you know going to the local village shows and, and now going up to the national show it's all to me about exhibition ones it's just trying to show people that a dahlia is a dahlia and, and they all grow exactly the same It's just that the ones I grow are the ones that have been bred to, to win. For the exhibitions then how many varieties do you grow? Too many. Um, <laughs> yeah some of the top growers and it all depends on the space you've got people have limited space. Some growers only grow sort of nine varieties in order to do the big championship classes mm. and they'll grow 50 plants of each variety. I like to spread my wings a little bit further afield. I grow around about 24 varieties in quantity and then i do a few others just in little bits and pieces okay. and, and how many of each of those varieties do you reckon you grow for the shows uh, across all the different classifications on, on average some are only grown in sort of six or tens and others up to 20 34. It depends on the varieties and how many i want to grow of each it's a lot really. of dahlias down yeah i think i've got about 640 in the ground as we speak for the shows at the end of august and september
2: that's just mind-boggling I mean I grow about 150 I mean it must be your full-time job
7: pretty much a (laughs) full-time hobby yeah I have sort of taken two or three months off this year from my little part-time job just so that I can concentrate on the flowers certainly to knuckle down
2: fair enough so your other passion then outside of dahlias is, is sweet peas?
7: Yes, I do sweet peas as well. You know, I, I like to dabble in all sorts through the season. So I start off with daffodils into sweet peas, dahlias and then occasionally a few late croissants. But yeah, sweet peas are my, my sort of second main passion. And yeah, I mean, certainly at this time of year in the last few weeks of sweet peas, it's, it's sweet pea season. You know, I could have probably fallen back on the sweet peas and done a sweet pea display at Hampton Court but I thought no let's do something a bit more difficult let's uh, try forcing some dailies out early to do a display here
2: Darren thanks so much for your time it's been really interesting talking to you no
1: problem at all well thanks so much for joining us in growing together for this edition at the RHS Hampton Court Palace Garden Festival really hope you've enjoyed listening to the people we met along the way We would love to hear from you. If you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email to joinusandgrow at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram. We are Together underscore podcast. Say hello. Tell us what you're growing.
0: And we'll be back soon at the Adhurst Estate Allotment. Until then. Bye-bye. Happy gardening. Growing Together is new twice a month and supported by Alitex, modern Victorian glass houses made in South Harting. Get the latest editions of Growing Together at any time at shineradio.uk. Come on, Petersfield, let's build a band. A beat from Dragon Street and a snare from The Square. A bass from Penn's Place, a glyph from Liszt a Phil from Bell Hill. Ooh, some vocals from us locals. And the Dave Gilmore of Tilmore. Only Petersfield's Shine Radio plays original music from local musicians. The Local Showcase with Mandy P is sponsored by Brickyard Studios. Petersfield's professional recording studio, rehearsal space and PA hire. The Local Showcase, Thursday nights at 9 and always online at shineradio.uk.